My name is Eric Holman, raised here in San Antonio, Texas. I went to Texas Tech for two years. Uh, I was having a little bit too much fun, and my parents obviously decided they weren't going to pay for that anymore. So, uh, you know, the Air Force had this program, or they might still do, where you join the Air Force four years and they pay for four years of college. So I said, okay, I'll join the Air Force. Uh, I came in as a security forces member, which is, a, you know, military police. Uh, I did that for the first four years, but I was deployed all the time. And uh, obviously, I didn't start, I didn't finish my degree, so I re enlisted. And during that second enlistment, 9 uh, 11 took place. And it just sparked that patriotic bone in my body, I guess. Just that fire that I wanted revenge. So I uh, I looked at other you know branches of service to go and you know, go get some revenge. And, and uh, luckily, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Will Perez, and, and his friend, Ben Hubbard, who were both combat patrol instructors at the time. Uh, here at Lackland Air Force Base, where I met him, and just said, man, you be a combat controller, do it all, and, you know, you get assigned to all these different teams, play with all the toys, jump out of airplanes, scuba dive, drop bombs, then you get the best quality of life in the Air Force. I said, man, that sounds great. My name is Eric Holman. Um, you know, I was raised here in San Antonio, Texas. I went to Texas Tech for two years. Uh, I was having a little bit too much fun, and my parents obviously decided they weren't going to pay for that anymore. So, uh, you know, the Air Force had this program, or they might still do, where you join the Air Force four years, and they pay for four years of college. So I said, okay, let me join the Air Force. Uh, I came in as a security forces member, which is a you know military police. Uh, I did that for the first four years, but I was deployed all the time. And uh, obviously, I didn't start and then finish my degree. So I re-enlisted. And during that second enlistment, 9-11 uh, took place. And it just sparked that patriotic bone in my body, I guess, and, and just that fire that I wanted revenge. So I uh, I looked at other you know branches of service to, to go and... and and go get some revenge. And, and uh, luckily, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Will Perez, and, and his friend, Ben Hubbard, who were both combat control instructors at the time uh, here at Lackland Air Force Base, where I met them. And they said, man, you need to be a combat controller. We do it all. And, you know, you, you get assigned to all these different teams, play with all the toys, jump out of airplanes, scuba dive, you drop bombs. 
and you get the best quality of life in the Air Force. I said, man, that sounds great. So yeah, that's what I did. Uh, it was a two-year training program. We call it the pipeline. It's uh, very long and it's very, it's a very rough one. Um, out of the 20 guys that I started the combat control pipeline with, only four of us made it. Uh, the attrition rate is still like in the high 85 to 90%, um, you know, of, of washout rate. So did that. And then after I graduated combat control school, then you go to your advanced skills training, which is in Florida. You learn all your, uh, you know, you go to Halo school, you go to combat dive school, all your radios, your weaponry, and then, uh, get assigned to a team after you graduate that year. And then you start deploying to Afghanistan, uh, after you get your JTAC rating. So it was, uh, it was probably the best time of my life. So I, I did that. That's kind of a short version. And then I got out after 15 years. My team leader in my last deployment was killed on the green and blue. And then I thought Hillary was going to win. So I was kind of done with the, the administration. You know, you know, I think the whole world thought that was going to win. So I didn't want to serve on their. So uh, I left and then, um, yeah, and then takes over. <laughs> so it kind of shocked the world. But uh, in the private world, I was a corporate security manager for a while. And then, um, you know, lately I uh, saw what was going on here in Texas uh, and uh, decided to run for Congress. So that's what I'm doing now. So I'm going to be honest with you. Got to tell on myself. The Navy has the SEALs. The Army has the Rangers and Special Forces. But I had no idea that the Air Force had some sort of equivalent type force within the Air Force. Um, and not only are you that specialized entity of the Air Force, but you are in the air jumping out of planes. You are... In essence, scuba diving underwater, doing things underwater, and everything in between. I, I, I didn't know that that existed. Now, I have heard Navy SEALs say that when they get out the military, that because of what they did as a SEAL, they don't want to go scuba diving for fun. That's just not a fun activity for them. Is that the same thing for you, like going skydiving, being equivalent to jumping out of planes in the military, or scuba diving to be an equivalent of some of the underwater missions that you did? Is there, like, is it something that you do that you can enjoy, or is it something like what that Navy SEAL had said to me, where it's just, you know, not a not a fun activity for you? It's funny you say that. I, um... You know, when I left, I was dating a girl and she wanted to do some of those things. You know, she wanted to go skydiving and, and scuba diving and go. I think a lot of uh, a lot of the girls I did after that wanted to go hiking. You know, it's like a thing. And I hated it. I, I just like, okay. no, I, I've done it so much. And granted, it's different, you know, but I, I just I wasn't excited as 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 they were, you know, it, it, to me, I'm just like, yeah, I've been there and done that. And, you know, it, it was a rough transition, right? I mean, you, you leave yeah. the, you leave the military. And, I mean, and it, it was fun when I was doing it, you know, I mean, you're, you're with your buddies and you have a weapon strapped to you and you're doing it at night. I mean, you're, you, you know, taking the cool guy photos and videos and, and I mean, it's pretty wild. Right. Uh, but when you get out and people are like, Oh, do you, you know, shooting, same thing. They're like, Oh, I love shooting. Cause it's a stress relief for me. I'm like, I don't do it. 
So it makes sense when you get out the military to not want to do those things because what many people find to be fun is work for you. Now, when you get out too, though, what what skills that you gained as a combat controller are you able to transfer with you to the civilian side? Uh, well, I mean, you can do air traffic control. A lot of guys go contracting. A lot of guys go law enforcement or some type of... Uh, you know, government agency type deal. Uh, but, you know, closer support and kind of airfield assessments and doing what, you know, doing what we did doesn't really translate. I mean, you know, you're not dropping bombs on anyone on the, in the civilian world. So it's a, it's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's very war oriented for sure. So, uh, except for the combat or except for the air traffic control piece. I think I was a little bit odd for, for the career field. You know, most my buddies still like to, you know, t-shirt and shorts, take it very easy jeans. You know, I, I like being in a suit and tie. So it's just, <laughs> I think I was just kind of getting back to the business side that I wanted to follow. So. Yeah, sure. So, um, it was 20, it was 2013. And I was with the ODA, which three one two six. Um, we were up in Wardak, Providence. Jalrez was the district, and um, you know it was winter, so we were our ops were very minimal uh, because you know if it's snowing, aircraft can't fly, so they don't let us out uh, unless something major happens. But for the most part, we were not out. So uh, I, you know, was coming to the end of my rotation, and. Um, I become obviously you become close friends with the guys, and I was gonna go assess at a tier one team, which is in in North Carolina. And the team leader Andrew, um, he was he it was his first command as a Green Beret um, officer, and he, you know, said, "Hey man, come assess uh, for your thing, and then when you make it, you stay at my house, and we'll have a good time until you find a place, and you know, uh, I'll kind of establish a foothold foothold for you." So I said, "Okay," and. Um, yeah, I leave. And, you know, my replacement had gotten there. And then two weeks later, uh, I was I was home in San Antonio. That's, that's where, I'm from, where I'm from. And my commander calls me and he, he's like, hey, man, are you driving? And I said, yes. And he said, OK, pull over and, and call me when you can. So it was uh, it's weird for your commander to call you, you know, especially when you're on leave after a six month deployment. So uh, I called him back and, you know, he, he gave me the news. There was a, a green on blue, which is an insider attack and um that uh that guy turned a, a heavy caliber weapon on on my my oda and, and and my team and and shot pretty much all of them um and my team leader andrew was andrew um peterson keel he was killed uh, the squad leader was killed dog was killed uh most of my guys were wounded somehow um and obviously when i heard the news i was i was crushed so i you know i packed up my stuff and um, I drove back to Florida. It was like a 10-hour drive or something like that from Texas and um, got to the unit the next day or the following day, I can't remember, and uh, you know, walked in his office and asked him to go back. You know, I was like, hey, man, I don't, I don't need to control any aircraft. I just want to be a shooter. I, I know the area. I was just there. You know, my stuff is packed. And this is my radio, my weapon, and, and my, my night vision. And, uh, you know, he said no. Uh, I think he, <laughs> he knew what I was going to go do. And, he, I guess, saved me from ruining my life because I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew that I was going to go get revenge in the most uh, 
I guess, extreme way possible if, if, if he sent me back. So he kept me from that. And then it just really took the cells, the wind out of my cells, you know, and um, I just decided that if I can go back and, and help my dudes that were up there, then I was going to get out because my shoulder was pretty banged up. It was pretty torn up and I needed surgery. And, you know, like I said earlier, I thought the administration was going to go with Hillary. So I was like, man, I, I can't, I can't fight like this anymore where our hands are, the rules of engagement are restricted and, and we're just losing a bunch of dudes and I can't protect them. So I said, all right, well, I'm getting out. And he tried to convince me, you know, said, Hey man, why don't you become an instructor where you can pass on your knowledge. And, and for me, I was like, man, if you're not sending me back to war, then, then I'm out. Like I'm out of here. I, you know, I'm not doing four years under her and, and obviously, you know, Trump wins, but, uh, but yeah, I guess he, you know, if he wouldn't have, then I would just be retiring now and I wouldn't be running for Congress. So, so it kind of worked out. So losing somebody that you get close to in the military is something that um, I think many of us have had to grapple with. What, what did you do to, um, I guess, get more control over your emotions and that and that rage or revenge type type mindset to where you could function better. Um, I I've lost a lot of my well I wouldn't say a lot I've lost four four guys who were my teammates uh, and funny enough they're well not funny but they, they were all too to an insider threat you know because of those rules of engagement that we had at the time and then. Um, and then my last teammate, I lost him to suicide. But I, at the time when you're in, you kind of know there's that possibility. And obviously, when you go back, then it's always the uh, such and such revenge tour. You know, you're going back in there and, and you kind of let your team know that they killed one of your guys and you're going in there and and you're just letting them have it a lot, a lot more, you know. And, and uh, so you kind of... Uh, you feed that hunger for a little bit and it, it quiets it down. But you realize, well, I realized as I got older that it's just an empty hole that you can, you can keep feeding and you can, you can stack as many of them as, as you want, but it's never going to bring back that one dude that, that you fought alongside with, that you loved, you know? And um, that was, uh, that was very rough and it's very painful and angry type of feeling that you get. Uh, because there's no way to really quench that thirst of it, you know, and um, survivor's guilt uh, was was the biggest thing for me that that really, you know, really crushed me when I got out. Uh, the the stuff that we did and that didn't bother me. It was it was the survivor's guilt and, and, and going to these guys as memorials and funerals and, and seeing their mothers cry over their caskets. That was um, that was definitely the hardest thing for me to see um, was their family suffer. Um, so, yeah. Did you find yourself, you know, after, I guess after the the fourth one um, had died and, and going to the memorial and funeral and whatever else, did you find yourself saying, okay, I need to get counseling or was there, was there anything like that? No, I, uh, <sighs> By the time that uh, my buddy Forrest was killed, him and another controller um, 
Captain Roland uh, when they were killed in the green on blue. I, I had been out for, I think, two years. And right, I think when I first got out, you know, you go to the VA and they assess that, you know, they ask you like, oh, are you suffering from PTSD, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm an operator. I, you know, I've got a college degree. You know, I had a bachelor's in business by that time. And I was like, no, I'm fine. But right about after a year mark, it's when I started to uh, feel like something was off. I just couldn't figure out what it was. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, you get out, I was 35 at the time. And, you know, you're watching all these commercials, you know, for, oh, it's testosterone or you need, you know, so I was like, oh, maybe that's what it is. You know, I'm 35 years old and I'm no longer on the team. So maybe that's what it is. But I go get checked and they're like, no, your testosterone is completely fine. But I just could not figure out what was wrong with me. I just felt like there was some, something was wrong. And, and I think right after that year mark is when I started having these, these little demons creep into my head, right. Of, of doing something stupid. And um, luckily the VA, reached out to me about that year mark and and they said hey you were in combat so you need to go do another assessment and i don't know if that's standard protocol or some you know divine angel angel was looking for me and looking out for me and and, and uh but anyway so i went back and same thing they give you a piece of paper and you know i checked yeah i'm super happy no big deal and luckily the, the psychologist that was there i mean he did his job and he just said hey man um everything you wrote on this piece of paper, it says that you're happy, but I know you're full of shit. So why don't you, why don't you stop wasting my time? So it took some, some, some time for me to trust them. Obviously, because, you know, you heard the stories of like, oh, if you admit that you're having trouble, then they might take your, your weapon, you know, cause I, I carry a concealed weapon. So uh, I didn't want that because I mean, that was part of my identity. I've carried a weapon since I was 20 years old. So um, it, it took some convincing. And, and uh, afterwards, like I said, he did his job. He saved my life. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Doc was, you know, I couldn't sleep and I finally was telling, telling him all the stuff that was going on. You know, I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares and and uh, just felt off. You know, I felt like a zombie. I was like, everything was dead inside. I would go to work, but it just nothing, nothing really made me happy. So, um, you know, he was like, hey, you're heavily depressed. And, uh, and I started laughing at him because I was like, man, that doesn't happen to dudes like me. There's just no way, you know, that happens to a dude that sits in his basement and watch, watches Dr. Phil, you know, or something. And, <laughs> And he was like, nope. He's like, that's what it is. And um, and he was right, you know, he saved my life. Um, and, you know, I had to work with him. And and I wanted to be, I wanted to get better. Uh, I think the problem is sometimes the guys that that kind of get diagnosed with it, you know, they some of them become that victim, you know, and, and they kind of enjoy, maybe enjoy is not the right word, but they, they kind of look for that shelter where people offer them, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you know, hang in there and things are going to get better. It's like they, they baby him a little bit. And for me, I, I just didn't want to feel that way anymore. I wanted to live again. And, and I wanted, you know, I told the doc, it's like, Hey man, make me, make me the way I was prior to joining the teams or make me where I don't feel anything. So obviously it can make me where I couldn't feel anything. So yeah. I just had to deal with it. But um, yeah, I think it, it takes guys, the willingness to, to want to get better because if you don't, you can force it down their throats and they're still, going to do whatever they're going to do and if they're going to kill themselves then they're really going to they're going to do that so uh it's up to that individual to want to seek help you know and i'm glad you said that because i i think for me what helped me um i was getting counseling for ptsd and i think it took a willingness to get help willingness to get help on my part 
but I also had a psychologist because um, a previous one just it we just weren't gelling, uh, which just wasn't working out. But this this particular psychologist, um, we connected almost instantly because she was there to push me and and say kind of like what you said. She'd say, uh, "Yeah, you're saying you're happy, but that's bull." And having a provider that can see through your your BS and say, okay, now how are you really doing? Like for real, for real, you know? And ha yeah. so I think having that kind of good mix where the veteran is saying, I need help and I want to get help. And then having a provider who's not going to just do the check in the block kind of thing makes for a good, you know, formula to get, get fixed or get help or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be that trust, you know, absolutely. Yeah. There's There's got to be a... a that trusting relationship where you are going to open up to someone that you completely don't know, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely key for sure. Yeah. So you have an organization that helps veterans. Can you talk a little bit about it and what you, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the last guy that, that killed himself, he was my first supervisor as a combat controller and uh, his name's Chris Rush. I absolutely love this dude. I mean, he taught, everything I knew about warfare and controlling aircraft and calling in air support and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he did his 20 years, gets out, um, moves back to Florida where we're, I mean, there's a base there for us or, you know, at Herbert field and Fort Walton beach. So there's plenty of us running around there. And, uh, six months later he ends up killing himself. So I, uh, obviously we took it pretty hard and I, I took it, you know, it was, it was very rough on me. So I, um, there's really nothing out there for combat controllers. There's, you know, I, there's plenty of programs that, you know, for suicide prevention, there's, you know, people know what a SEAL is, what a Green Beret is, a Ranger, a Marine, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're just have good branding. Right. But I mean, when I say, Oh, I'm a combat controller, people are just like, I have no clue what a combat controller is. I didn't even know the air force had a ground guy that, that, that gets into it, you know, gets into the mix of things and, and it's a deadly guy. So, I mean, hands down, we're the most lethal operator on the battlefield. And, um, and it just really drove me insane, you know, when, when I was going through my stuff. So I, uh, I said, all right, well, I'm going to start my own nonprofit and I'm going to cater to combat controllers and their families. Um, and one day I got up like at three in the morning, started typing the mission statement, the vision statement. And, you know, the first Air foundation was, was born. So, I what we do is we want to be an extension of the team room and help our guys when when they feel lost or forgotten to know that they have a guy that can they can trust that they can I mean they can look me up they can call me and say hey man you were one of us and and obviously I'm on the other side of it you know I'm I'm in sitting in a pretty good spot but it took you know eight and a half nine years you know because I I, I was kind of alone at it but I don't want those guys to to feel that way so and then you know obviously guys that are married and, and they have their kids, you know, we put our families through a whole lot, you know, and if they're not married, their parents, you know, our parents were quite a bit about us. So I want to be able to help, help them. I mean, um, we just had uh, one of my buddies that that's, you know, he's still in, he's, he's working with the, the organization though, as soon as it gets out, uh, he checked on one of our gold star families and, and um, she needed a garbage disposal. And I was like, dude, just send us the bill and we'll, we'll take care of it. I mean, something little, but I think that, you know, she lost two sons to, to this war. So, you know, I, I'm sure that if they were around, they, they would come home and visit and be like, hey, mom, the garbage disposal doesn't work. Let me pay for that. It's no big deal. So we're, we want to be able to bring that community together and, and help out as much as we can. So that's, uh, yeah, First there is going to help with, 
with the job placement, writing resumes. There's guys that have never worn a suit, so I want to be able to help them with that. Uh, you know, obviously the mental issues, um, substance dependency. I mean, just anything we can do to ease that transition from the team life to civilian life for them and their families. That's what we're here to do. I think that kind of thing is awesome. I really do because there are so many people who who are veterans who go through stuff, but either because of a mental health stigma or a pride issue of, no, I don't need any financial assistance. I'm good. I got this, but you really don't. And so the fact that you guys are seeing that need and then meeting it and, and seeing the hurt that people are experiencing and, and getting them, getting them to the right place to the, for that healing that they need. Um, that's that, while it might seem insignificant or small to some people is huge. Uh, yeah, it really yeah. is you know, helping one person with whatever their hang up is can make the world of difference for them, their families. And you never know what that person person's going to end up, you know, stepping out into the world and do and how many people they're going to impact. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, uh, I just take it as, um, if I was the one that, that was, you know, killed in action, what I would want my friends to look after my mother and, and just the little things that the little things mean a lot more than, you know, some of the stuff that the big units take care of, right? Like the flowers. And I mean, yeah, it's great, but I mean, it's the little things where they're right. going to miss their sons or their fathers and brothers. So yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank so you. I think I would close it out with you with just uh, if, if there's anybody listening, whether they're a con like, whether it's a combat controller or somebody who is suffering in some kind of way that was in service, what is something that you would tell them as far as getting the help that they need or whatever the case may be? I think it starts with you. Uh, I think you need to be tired of feeling blue or in that dark spot, right? Because it feels like you're in this box that you just can't see a way out of, that you just keep spinning in circles. And obviously the alcohol, although it, it numbs it, and for me it was, you know, you live for the moment and, it, and you felt great for that night or, you know, however long, but at the end, it's it just, you, you fall back even further. Right. So you, you want to go, you want to go find a psychologist or someone that you actually, like you said, that you can gel with, that you can trust maybe your buddies, but talking about it helps tremendously. I guarantee you, your, your teammates or your, you know, your friends would rather you call them at four in the morning and tell them what's going on than them coming to your funeral and then watching your your parents or your loved ones cry over a, a casket, you know, I guarantee you they would take your call every day if they had to, if it meant that you weren't going to put a gun to your head or do whatever you're doing to, to end your life. I know it's painful, but you gotta, you gotta keep moving forward. Even if it's an inch, even if you did something tiny by the, by the time you know it, a year will go by and you're like, holy cow, I, I did that already, you know? And, you just can't dwell on what's what you don't have. You got to dwell on what you have right now. And and it sounds super cliche. And I know I've seen it in all kinds of, you know, you know, suicide prevention magazines and TV and stuff. But I mean, it truly is talking to your friends, talking to people you trust, and just moving forward the best you can, little by little. And I guarantee. Uh, but you you're gonna want to. It's within you. You got to want to get better. Because if not, all the help in the world, it's not gonna it's not gonna save you. Yep, I agree. Well, I know today's a big day for you, so um, you probably have a buttload of text messages and missed yeah. calls. 
<laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I, this is this is dear to my heart, you know, and it's important. And um, it, it was difficult with with a campaign because I, I pretty much started both of them at the same time, and uh, I didn't plan it. It just kind of that's the way God, I guess, had it planned out for me. But um, no, thank you so much for for reaching out, and uh, you know, hopefully you can use that, and hopefully it helps some some dude that even if he's not a controller that he can say shit man if it happens to these guys you know um i think that's the biggest thing that people you know i, th I think they they really they think that us that did the thing like that that it's like oh these guys nothing like that would ever happen to them and believe it or not it's it's, it's even harder because you're it's you're moving at such a high tempo and and the stuff you're doing it's and then you suppress it right you suppress all that stuff because if you if you're not completely 100 fine you're hurting the team or you can you know, you could get someone killed or, you know, someone else has to take your spot. So you've got to be dialed in the entire time instead of adrenaline. And you're just, it's just, um, it's, it, it was the time of my life for sure, but I definitely paid for it uh, a few years after. So uh, if I can help anyway, just feel free to reach out. Yeah, you got my email. Uh, tonight's going to be a little a little wild, but uh, I am not going to talk to you for the next twelve <laughs> or so hours. <laughs> yeah, but afterwards, I, I think I, I think I'll be good. So, but I, I mean, I'll get to my messages. You know, I, I really do try to. I think it's important. I'm not one of those want to be politicians or people that are kind of that are just forget. You know, I I want to be able to help as much as I can. So it takes me a little bit longer to get to people, but I I definitely want to help. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. And I think something that you said, you know, what my passion is. I started off and I actually started off doing this podcast because in counseling with that same person, she said to me, you know, cause my depression was really kicking my butt. And yeah. she said, you've got to find something that you enjoy doing and focus on doing it so that you will not be focusing on how bad that crap is that you're dealing with. And yeah. in my sarcasm, I said to her, I don't enjoy anything. There's nothing yeah. out there for me. 100%. Um, yeah. I was the same and, way. And, and, uh, and I'll tell you, even with a podcast, I do not listen to podcasts and I don't yeah. care for the sound of my own voice. So why yeah. do a podcast? And when I bought my microphone, I thought, okay, I'm going to record, you know, five or six episodes, 10 at best. And that, and then that's going to be it. I'm going to tuck it away and whatever. I've published 75 episodes already. Good for you. And it's funny the way it just, you just fall into your niche without knowing it. You know, I, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, think, I hear you. And I, I think for me, with when I saw that there are so many people that are still um, struggling with mental health issues and thoughts of suicide, I was like, you know, forget the transition issues. And I don't say forget them, but there's so many resources that I could refer people to. But with this whole 22 a day awareness about suicide, I'm like, great, we're aware. What are we doing? And I don't yeah. have a solution to it, but I can provide a platform for people to talk about it. I think it's the biggest thing is that you, when you're in the military and say, say you do 10, 15, 20, however long, you don't realize that when you leave, no one gives a shit. Like, mm -hmm. unless it's your people you love or whatever, but you, the loss of purpose where you no longer matter, like show up to work. Great. If you don't, you're fired. See ya. You know, and in the mm -hmm. military, you know, there was someone looking after you, people depending on you, you were in charge of whatever program, I mean, there's some purpose to your life, whether you hate it or not, whether you realize it or not. And then when you cut away from it, the the loss of purpose, you know, especially, you know, it's like I said, I think that's why a lot of my guys that 
all of a sudden you're not, they're not briefing generals. They're not being, you know, when we get in a firefight, you know, the, the SEALs and the Green Berets and the Rangers are like, help me, dude, like kill everybody. And you're just like, yeah, absolutely. And there's that purpose, you know, you're the hero of, of, of these guys, you know, you're, you're the number one dude. So when you lose that, I think they, they crave that. So they start doing high risk activities, you know, bunch of drinking, drugs, you know, living yeah. <laughs> like an animal. So, I mean, yeah. it's fun. It's fun. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you, you get caught and you can ruin your life really quick. So it's, um, that's what I don't want them to do. Although as yeah. fun as it may be, I just, you know, like I said, I got a little bit of trouble here and there, but uh, yeah, I'm sure my enemies will use it against me once I get to this general election. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? That's, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I've always had hated about campaigning yeah. is, or running for office. When you have that person that generally has a heart and passion to make a difference and not, they don't want to be like you, you don't want to be a politician. You just yeah. want to be in a position to make a difference. And so those politicians that are career politicians are like, we're going to find some dirt on him. Uh, yeah. And then when you find <laughs> that dirt on the person, you, you just magnify it. Like, oh my gosh, he's nothing but a drug addict and a drunk and he kills people. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes so me laugh. Like, like I'm looking do? forward to it. I'm looking forward to be like, yeah, I did that. Like, yeah, I got arrested for that. Yep, one hundred percent. Like, who are you gonna yeah, send? This is what a real American looks like. Okay, we're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like who's America gonna send when we get into World War Three? Like, you idiots or someone like me? You know. So. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not worried about it. I'm sure I'll come out though. I knew about it before I obviously decided to run. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, no, thank you so much for your time, and uh, yeah, thank you, thank you very much. I I. I hope it helps, you know, like you said, if it helps one dude or one girl, then maybe their kids hear it. I, I don't know. You know, yeah. what I, the, the whole thing is we got to, we got to look after each other, you know, right? Cause uh, civilians don't, don't truly get it um, right. regardless of, of what they think or mm -hmm. movies or what they read. It's just, unless you go through it, you don't really get it. You mean the movies aren't real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. They're awesome. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot. I do appreciate it. And I yeah. do look forward to connecting with you more like outside sure. of doing a podcast. Yeah. And yeah, hope let me know. I, if I could help on the East Coast, you know, I'd love it. No, yeah, for sure. No, that'd be great. Thank you well, very much. All right. As much as possible. Enjoy the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I will. I'm going to head out there. All, All right. right. Take well, care. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Earlier, you mentioned losing some guys, uh, teammates of yours in combat about four of them, and then another one to suicide. Talk a little bit about that. So um, it was twenty, it was 2013, and I was with the ODA. Um, we were up in Wardak, Providence. Jalrez was the district, and, um, you know, it was winter. So we were, our ops were very minimal uh, because, you know, if it's snowing, aircraft can't fly, so they don't let us out uh, unless something major happens. But for the most part, we were not out. So... Uh, I, you know, was coming to the end of my rotation and um, I had become, obviously you become close friends with the guys and I was going to go assess at a tier one team, which is in, in North Carolina. And the team leader, Andrew, um, he was, he, it was his first command as a Green Beret um, officer. And he, you know, said, Hey man, come assess uh, for your thing. And then when you make it, just stay at my house and we'll have a good time until you find a place and, you know, uh, I'll kind of establish a foothold foothold for you. So I said, okay. And um, 
yeah, I leave. And, you know, my replacement had gotten there. And then two weeks later, uh, I was I was home in San Antonio. That's, that's where, I'm from, where I'm from. And my commander calls me and he, he's like, hey, man, are you driving? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, pull over and, and call me when you can. So it was uh, it's weird for your commander to call you, you know, especially when you're on leave after a six-month deployment. So uh, I called him back and, you know, he, he gave me the news. There was a, a green on blue, which is an insider attack and um that uh that guy turned a, a heavy caliber weapon on on my my oda and, and and my team and and shot pretty much all of them um and my team leader andrew was andrew um peterson keel he was killed um the squad leader was killed the dog was killed uh most of my guys were wounded somehow um and obviously when i heard the news i was i was crushed so i you know i packed up my stuff and um i drove back to florida it was like a 10 hour drive or something like that from texas and um got to the unit the next day or the following day i can't remember and uh you know walked in his office and asked him to go back you know it's like hey man i don't i don't need to control any aircraft i just want to be a shooter i, I know the area i was just there you know all my stuff is packed and this is my radio my weapon and and my my night vision and uh you know he said no uh, i think he <laughs> he knew what i was gonna go do and he, I guess, saved me from ruining my life because I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew that I was going to go get revenge in the most, uh, I guess, extreme way possible if, if, if he sent me back. So he kept me from that. And then it just really took the cells, the wind out of my cells, you know, and um, I just decided that if I can go back and, and help my dudes that were up there, then I was going to get out because my shoulder was pretty banged up. It was pretty torn up and I needed surgery. And, you know, like I said earlier, I thought the administration was going to go with. So I was like, man, I, I can't, I can't fight like this anymore where our hands are, the rules of engagement are restricted and, and we're just losing a bunch of dudes and I can't protect them. So I said, all right, well, I'm getting out. And he tried to convince me, you know, said, Hey man, why don't you become an instructor where you can pass on your knowledge and, and for me, I was like, man, if you're not sending me back to war, then, then I'm out. Like, I'm out of here. I, you know, I'm not doing four years on their and, and obviously, you know, wins. But, uh, but yeah, I guess he, you know, if he wouldn't have, then I would just be retiring now and I wouldn't be running for Congress. So, so it kind of worked out. Thanks for sharing that, ma'am. Here's my, here's my next question with that. You know, you, you have this bond with people in uniform, these sisters and brothers in arms. But like you mentioned, when you when you deploy with them, when you're in combat with these guys, like that that bond just thickens and deepens and is more rooted. And then you have this this retaliation mindset of you took my brother, I'm coming after you. How do you how do you come to grips with that? How do you come to terms with with these emotions and you don't have this venue to express them? I I've lost a lot of my well, I wouldn't say a lot. I've lost four four guys who are my teammates. Uh and funny enough, they're well not funny, but they, they were all too to an insider threat, you know, because of those rules of engagement that we had at the time. And then um and then my last teammate, I lost him to suicide. But I, at the time when you're in, you kind of know there's that possibility. And obviously, when you go back, then it's always the, uh, 
such and such revenge tour, you know, you're going back in there and, and you kind of let your team know that they killed one of your guys and you're going in there and, and you're just letting them have it a lot, a lot more, you know, and, and, uh, so you kind of, uh, you feed that hunger for a little bit and it, it quiets it down, but you realize, well, I realized as I got older that it's just an empty hole that you can, you can keep feeding and you can, you can stack as many of them as, as you want, but it's never going to bring back that one dude that, that you fought alongside with that you loved, you know? And, um, that was, uh, that was very rough and it's very painful and angry type of feeling that you get, uh, because there's no way to really quench that thirst of it, you know? And, um, Survivor's guilt uh, was was the biggest thing for me that that really, you know, really crushed me when I got out. Um, the the stuff that we did and that didn't bother me. It was it was the survivor's guilt and 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 going to these guys' as memorials and funerals and and seeing their mothers cry over their caskets. That was um that was definitely the hardest thing for me to see um, was their family suffer. My buddy Forrest was killed. Him and another controller, um, Captain Roland, uh, when they were killed in the green on blue, I, I had been out for, I think, two years. And right, I think when I first got out, you know, you go to the VA and they assess that, you know, they ask you like, oh, you suffer from PTSD, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm an operator. I, you know, I've got a college degree. You know, I had a bachelor's in business by that time. And I was like, no, I'm fine. But right about after a year mark, it's when I started, um, feel like something was off. I just couldn't figure out what it was. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, you get out of 35 at the time and, you know, you're watching all these commercials, you know, for, Oh, it's testosterone or you need, you know, so I was like, Oh, maybe that's what it is. You know, I'm 35 years old and I'm no longer on the team. So maybe that's what it is, but I go get checked and they're like, no, your testosterone is completely fine. But I just could not figure out what was wrong with me. I just felt like there was some, something was wrong. And, and I think right after that year mark is, when I started having these, these little demons creep into my head, right. Of, of doing some stupid. And, um, luckily the VA reached out to me about that year mark and, and they said, Hey, you were in combat. So you need to go do another assessment. Divine angel, angel was looking for me and, and looking out for me. And, 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 uh, but anyway, so I went back and same thing to give a piece of paper and, you know, I checked. Yeah, I'm super happy. No big deal. And luckily the, the psychologist that was there, I mean, he did his job and, he just said, Hey man, um, everything you wrote on this piece of paper says that you're happy, but I know you're full of shit. So why don't you, why don't you stop wasting my time? So it, it took some, some, some time for me to trust them. Obviously, because, you know, you heard the stories of like, Oh, if you admit that you're having trouble, then they might take your, your weapon, you know, cause I, I carry a concealed weapon. So, uh, I didn't want that because I mean, that was part of my identity. I've carried a weapon since I was 20 years old. So, um, it took some convincing and, and, uh, afterwards, like I said, he did his job. He saved my life. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, the doc was, you know, I couldn't sleep and I finally was telling, telling him all the stuff that was going on. You know, I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares and, and, uh, just felt off. You know, I felt like a zombie. I was like, everything was dead inside. I would go to work, but it just nothing, nothing really made me happy. So, um, you know, he was like, Hey, you're heavily depressed. And, uh, and I started laughing at him because I was like, man, that doesn't happen to dudes like me. There's just no way, you know, that happens to a dude that sits in his basement and watches, watches Dr. Phil, you know, or something. And he was like, nope. He's like, that's what it is. And, um, and he was right, you know, and he saved my life. Um, and, you know, I had to work with him and 
and I wanted to be, I wanted to get better. Uh, I think the problem is sometimes the guys that, that kind of get diagnosed with it, you know, they, some of them become that victim, you know, and, and they kind of enjoy, maybe enjoy is not the right word, but they, they kind of look for that shelter where people offer them, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, you know, hang in there and things are going to get better. It's like they, they baby them a little bit. And for me, I, I just didn't want to feel that way anymore. I wanted to live again. And and I wanted, you know, I told the doc, I was like, Hey man, make me, make me the way I was prior to joining the teams or make me where I don't feel anything. So obviously you can make me where I can feel anything. So yeah. I just had to deal with it. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it takes guys the willingness to, to want to get better because if you don't, you can force it down their throats and they're still going to do whatever they're going to do. And if they're going to kill themselves then they're really going to, they're going to do that. So uh, it's up to that individual to want to seek help. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be that trust, you know, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be a, a, that trusting relationship where you are going to open up to someone that you completely don't know, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely key for sure. The last guy that, that killed himself, he was my first supervisor as a combat controller. And, uh, his name's Chris Rush. I absolutely love this dude. I mean, he taught everything I knew about warfare and controlling aircraft and calling in air support and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he did his 20 years, gets out, um, moves back to Florida where we're, I mean, there's a base there for us or, you know, at Herbert field and Fort Walton beach. So there's plenty of us running around there. And, uh, six months later he ends up killing himself. So I, uh, obviously we took it pretty hard and I, I took it, you know, it was, it was very rough on me. Thank you and have a nice day.